Walls podcast. I'm Austin Zwiebelman. I'm Jackson Morrill. And I'm Josh Key. And today we're going to be reviewing The Mandalorian episodes 7 and 8. Yeah, we haven't finished the sequel trilogy yet, so uh, we have up to 8. Yeah, I hear there's a ninth episode that they're going to release a little while from now where... Um, it just undermines everything that uh, the whole series the is first, set up. It's so good that the first eight episodes don't matter. They just, um, they, 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 Boba Fett comes back, and he's actually the one who made uh, Moff Gideon in a FEMA camp. Actually, Gus Fring could be Boba Fett. By the way, is Moff Gideon the same actor as Gus Fring? Yeah. yeah. Oh my god! Giancarlo Esposito. That explains or, why he just brought so much. Or to the cultured, the dentist from Payday 2. Oh my god. God <laughs> fucking damn it. God. Am I the only man of culture in this room? Yes. So, uh, we had a little talk after the last podcast out on my deck while we were just sort of doing the falling action of our hangout that evening, where uh, this was a day or so before Episode Nine, the new Star Wars movie, uh, Rise of Skywalker, was going to come out, and Josh and I uh, had been treated to spoilers for the movie about three weeks prior that had leaked onto Reddit, so we knew what everybody was about to be hit in the face with, like a big wet fish. And uh, naive little me, who had hope... I had a little bit of hope. I had a shred of hope. That technically was met. Technically, the one thing I said I wanted out of this movie was met. We tried to save you. You did. And I. (laughs) it is the last time I will ever go against you you two's well wishes, despite the fact that I know you are out to get me at any point in time. (laughs) Jackson didn't like the movie. I've come to terms with what it is. I'm always going to wish it could be better, but I'm that way with a lot of things. And it's funny because I can enjoy trash, which is what I would call The Rise of Skywalker. I maintain that Revenge of the Fallen is my favorite Transformers movie to watch, but... I, I can picture you in a children's storybook, sort of like Green Eggs and Ham, where you're just enjoying a lot of trash things. You're just like, yes, I can go to Captain D sometimes... Yes, I've, I've driven stick before, and then eventually, but this little fucking midget, this Dr. Seuss midget just keeps trying to get you to say episode 9 was good, and you're like, no, sir. The nicest thing I can say about it is that it is pure spectacle, so in the same way that it's really fun to watch a Marvel movie, it was really fun to watch this movie. Yeah. And if my brain was capable of shutting off, but I was unfortunately able to process everything it was throwing at me, because I can process Michael Bay... So this was like this was like going through on easy mode. So unfortunately I was able to process what this movie was doing and it was procedurally giving me about eight different strokes. So I remember the moment leading up to this, I was really afraid for you. And I was like because I knew what was gonna happen, but I didn't know how it was gonna happen. And I didn't realize how soon it was gonna happen because you, watched... you knew I was right from the first sentence of the opening crawl. The dead speak. <laughs> We're going to try not to spoil episode 9. It's still kind of early in its life cycle, somehow. It feels like it's been months, but it has Um, been literally less than two weeks. I think the point is, save yourself and spoil it for yourself. I don't want to do that for you, but if you go into this one blind and you're hoping for something good... If you're hoping for Star Wars, you're not getting it. No, you're you're getting a prequel. You're not getting a prequel because the prequels had a Star Wars pace, 
I feel like we're just trying to be like martini swishing here and just being like topical. Like we're aware of what happened. Star Wars just recently had an event where they ended like the 42 year legacy in the most anime, like piss your pants possible way that they could. Meanwhile, we have this other huge Star Wars property on a fucking streaming platform. You know, like this, is, this TV show that they made. It is leagues better than the majority of Star Wars that has been made in the last decade. It's really like the John Favreau magic, where, like, Iron Man 1 is still one of the best MCU things. Mm-hmm. You, I, you know, he, he like, rears his head in pop culture, like, everywhere, and then just disappears afterwards. Granted, he couldn't save the Lion King, but that's a different matter. That's hey, a problem with just, like, Disney's entire concept. I want to go through the uh, live-action Lion King uh, Can You Feel the Love Tonight scene and just dub over, like, a Mr. Plinkett today, like, voice, because that scene takes place in broad daylight in the remake for no fucking reason at all. <laughs> because they couldn't animate the fur at night believably. It's just Beyonce and Childish Gambino going around singing about it being the wrong time of day. And it's it's sort of magical, you know. But oh this God. this was nice because this is it's 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 such a double edged sword because Disney completely dropped the ball on what people probably cared a lot more about at the onset, the actual commercially like wide released feature films, and then this show is just like completely nails its first season like a fucking uh, Russian gymnast. Like I feel the bar or something. I feel like the glory that is Shasta Cola was directly injected into my veins to keep me from actually starting self harm <laughs> over Star Wars. There, there are so many reveals in these la- these last two episodes that are like really fucking mind blowing. Um, the structure of everything is always like it's really well paced. Do you think I, I asked Jackson this question? Do you think if Taika Waititi had directed the any of the sequel trilogy, that things would have been better? I think. You could say that about most directors. <laughs> because at least most directors wouldn't get bright ideas about new directions in which to take the series and would probably just go to adapting something from Legends from the outset, like the Thrawn trilogy, instead of what they did. I wonder how much of, like, how comparable it is on a scale of, like, you know, drinking coffee to doing, like, full uncut coke. Like, how J.J. Abrams must have felt after he remade Star Trek in 2009 as a Star Wars movie. And he's just, like, walking around in Hollywood just like, UNLIMITED POWER! I maintain that, uh... Oh my god, I had a realization. He's totally fine. Like, he's just drinking coffee, occasionally doing a line of coke here and there in his career prior. And then... They basically see Colin Trevorrow's script, drag Colin Trevorrow out back, would put him down, and then they're like, call the JJ, and they offer JJ a brick of coke that is as tall as he is, <laughs> and are just like, this is what it will take, this is how much we diverted to fuel the Marvel Cinematic Universe from Phase 2's beginning through Phase 3, this is what you have for Rise of Skywalker. And then they just let him go fucking nuts, and that's what we got with it. Meanwhile, we have The Mandalorian, which uh, totally fucking just uh, didn't do anything offensive in-universe, brought some shit out of the trenches, like at the end of the the final episode that just, like, would blow your fucking mind. You Mm -hmm. know what? I think I had a realization. Oh, no. Nothing in this series really contradicts Legends. This might secretly be a Legends property. 
Oh my god. So they're doing like the, um, like some crazy Star Trek shit where they have a universe where they didn't delete all the books. And then the main <laughs> movies, they did delete all the books. But then all of their TV properties draw from the old source material as Disney's final ditch effort to undo the biggest fuck up. <laughs> you see this, I think this ties into my fan theory for the next trilogy that's going to come out in 10 years. Which is Ryan Johnson's. Yeah, Which just is Ryan Johnson's directed. Ryan Johnson's. And it starts off in New York City with Peter Parker <laughs> looking up into the sky to see a fleet of Star Destroyers pop in out of hyperspace. <laughs> and then the force ghost of Tony Stark puts his hand on his shoulder and hands him a lightsaber and says, We got a new enemy, kid. Time to get fucking moving. <laughs> and then Emperor Palpatine, who the top of his head looks like a scrotum, and Thanos... The, the bottom of his head looks like a scrotum. They're both back, and they've combined into one gigantic scrotum creature that looks like the uh, Phantatos. like the Time Police in Rick and Morty. <laughs> they take Ian McDiarmid and Josh Brolin's dialogue, and they just have him say everything at the same time, and then just cut it over. <laughs> Yeah, no, they actually strap the- they make sure that they're handcuffed together in the booth and recording into the same microphone, because so, they're- Disney's not at the point where it can illegally surgically attach two established actors together. They'll- they'll work on it, though. We're bringing James Dean back from the dead, okay? Actors have less and less rights every year. They're like journalists, okay? Oh, God. So, this, um, this is like a two-episode kind of, like, sandwich- Mm -hmm. Um, they, uh, we just did, we, we were in SideQuest Universe last week. Yeah. And this is, like, a direct, like, like, speaking of meta slap fights, if Episode 9 was just a little pussy slap fight in the courtyard between Episode 8 and 9, this is just, like, he apparently leveled up enough in the last three episodes this to get is to him, go back. This is him going, the last three episodes were him going back to, like, the starting area and just, like, punching all of the low-level lizards hanging around. <laughs> And farming the XP. He, he he knew that he needed to be a certain level to unlock the jetpack and unlock, like, you know, the things he needed to finish the final quest. You know, there was, like, this hidden progress bar that's going to pop up on the UHD Blu-rays. Yeah. So it's more like a video game than it already is. Yeah, I mean, I, he was doing the uh, loyalty quests for Kara and Quill. So <laughs> he, he now has enough experience. He um, gets contacted. There's, there's a little uh, quest event that he gets notified of. Where it's, uh... Carl Weathers unlocks the quest for him and asks to for him to come back and to kill Werner Herzog because Werner Herzog is a Nazi and Nazis are bad. Mando, turns out those damn Nazis are everybody's enemy. If you come back and help me kill this space Nazi, your main quest can finally be completed and you can go finally be the parent you were always destined to be. And Mando's like, not yet. And then he goes and, like, recruits the... Because he held back from actually recruiting companions on this adventure. He just didn't complete the final dialogue sequence. So he just goes and does that so they're at fresh health. Yeah. Instead of getting beaten down and not liking him through the morality well, system. Any, anybody that plays RPGs knows that sometimes companions are bugged. So mm -hmm. when you take them, their level gets locked at whatever level you found them at. Yeah. So if you keep adventuring past that point, they don't level up with you. Right. So the, he, he pulled a pro gamer move here and saved all of the companions he met for the final quest mm -hmm. so that they would all be at max level with him. Yeah, it's yeah. really good because because Quill was leveling up his building techniques the whole time. Yeah, his engineering and Kara, still went way the fuck up. Kara is farming XP when we meet her again. Just beating up random jerks roadhouse <laughs> style on that fucking Spotchka planet. 
Oh, man. So basically what I said at the end of last podcast that while the side quests have been fun, I was kind of getting a little tired of the focus on them and I was hoping to get back to the main story for a pretty big finale. I got exactly that. Yes, and so far as episode 9 was exactly what a lot of people didn't want, this is just this is just fucking bukkake of exactly what I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. So it's two completely like like polarized feelings about the different properties. I I just um like when they started episode 7, I was watching it with my husband first, and it was just the whole like the, the first half of the episode is just you son of a bitch. I'm in. in. <laughs> It's just going around and just like get, getting a fucking posse assembled, and it was it was really fun seeing all the old people come back. I was glad because you know there were some people um, in, in like circles that I go in in media who were laughing at how much they wasted Nick Nolte. Like they didn't just get a normal cool guy to like be the voice of like fucking Queel or whatever. They were like, no, we need screen legend Nick Nolte. Do you really think Nick Nolte has like the longevity in him to be in Star Wars long term? Well, he quit drinking like 20 years ago, so yeah. He's okay. also a puppet. He doesn't have any physicality to yeah. do. Yeah, they just get Nick Nolte in front of a ribbon microphone in some fucking nice-ass California studio, you know, and then I, I don't know what he does. Maybe give him some tea and just be like, you have spoken. So he, he recruits Car- Cara Dune and Nick Nolte, and there's a surprise, uh, the IG-11 bot that m- fucking Mando double-crossed at the Glutie. end of the first episode. <laughs> Glutie's back. Glutie's here. And, and Glutie loves serving tea. He, he no longer wants to make an app. He's been changed. <laughs> Jerry showed him the phone, and he realized he'll never get a girlfriend, and, um, you know, his society crumbled when the uh, two leads got, got in a bickering fight over water. And uh, so... IG-11 shows up, and Mando um, is just like, I don't care, um, IG-11s are only 13% of the droids, and they commit 50% of the crimes. And Cara Dune is like, what is with the Stormfront shit, Mando? And a lot of the arc of the last two episodes is Mando learning not to get on poll every day and just read racist propaganda about (laughs) droids. We also find out that he has a Freudian excuse, too. We already kind of knew this, but we get an extended sequence of his childhood where his entire family and planet get massacred by, uh... By droid soldiers. By droids in the Clone Wars. It's, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic because IG-11 is the Quicksilver character of this series where he's so fucking OP that they, like, can only use him for a limited amount of time. And he's basically the deus ex machina that ties the depressing ending of the seventh episode to the action of the eighth where they have a chance again. Mm-hmm. And so the entire time, you know, Mando's at first really hesitant. He's just like, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but fuck, I can't trust droids. Fuck droids. Only red lives matter. If it don't have blood, then it should be dead. And I maintain that he just doesn't understand how droids work because it, <laughs> when he says it's in their nature, I just keep assuming that the next question out of his mouth is, what do droids eat? You said that earlier and that had me in fucking stitches. How come they don't sleep? Yeah. What's going on? It's looking at me. Well, there's only th- one thing you need to know about droids is that you have to watch those wrist rockets. <laughs> oh, God. I just, yeah, this is a canon sequel to Battlefront 2. I don't trust anything that doesn't poop. <laughs> if it can, if it can't poop, it's probably going to be a dictator of some tiny nation. <laughs> so he he goes back and he meets up with Carl Withers, and uh, Carl Withers is like strapped, like he's brought three fucking level ten mercs with him, and it's sketch as fuck. It's sketch as fuck, but he has the charisma to pull it off, and they're basically just going with it. And uh, they camp out because the plan is basically they're going to kill Werner Herzog. The rest of the space Nazis will either run or start working for as bounty hunters. 
which doesn't seem like a great idea, but, you know, bounty hunters die all the time, so ultimately it's a win-win. I mean, I'm, I'm from the United States. I believe that we should take Nazis after their leaders have been killed and, you know, employ them in the space program. <laughs> you know, if you, if you want to make them bounty hunters, Nazis are versatile, man. Just, just hide them in Argentina. <laughs> Nobody gives a fuck. Holy shit. You know, the costume design... They really did a good job on the level 10 mercs, too, that Carl Weathers brings. Because they look like they're going to die within the next 10 minutes of screen time. <laughs> There's just They just had that weird red shirt quality. Yeah. perfect, Perfectly captured it. Yeah. I mean, one of them is literally wearing a head that looks almost exactly like the fucking uh, feminist rights robot in Solo, A Star Wars Story. <laughs> Our queen. The real, the true fucking queen. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, God bless. Oh, everybody watched, watched season two of Fleabag. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, so they all eventually go and there's this really bizarre, uh, cause we were talking last time and I'm still kind of pissed they didn't use anything like our idea. Like Palpatine didn't just have some random coffee vendor feed him molten shit. I figure what we had was better, but we'll always be able to say that about episode 9. It's just any of our <laughs> shit, shitty banterings are better than what actually happened. Exactly. Um, so, the, the scene in episode 7 happens that, um, or episode 7 of The Mandalorian that ties into episode 9, which is, um, there's a horror movie sequence again. It's a stupid fucking horror movie sequence. I kind of hate it, but it's perfectly in line with Star Wars because Star Wars always has at least one sequence that's straight out of a stupid action-adventure movie. And being attacked by fucking poison dragons is exactly what this... Josh said the funniest thing when he first saw it. It was just, they forgot this planet has dragons. <laughs> As they're all getting loose, like, mercilessly fucked up. They're, they're like... camped outside without any enclosures nearby, just an open fire that they're roasting an animal on. On an active volcano. The entire planet is apparently a lava planet, by the way. Navarro wasn't a lava planet in the first three episodes of The Mandalorian, but now it is, which is a little strange, but I mean, I can dig it. It's not like the town had a lot of detail. It wasn't even called Navarro in the first three episodes. Well, they never referred to the planet by name, so... Well, they had the weird little um, side episode that you get with Disney++, where it's a little Swedish guy talking about the biome update. Yeah. And everyone on Navarro is just like, oh, it's weird. And he's like, yeah, I increased the Nazi count on the planet, and so I figured I'd add some lava, because our new engine, no longer running in Java, mind you, uh, can <laughs> definitely uh load the the biomes more clear <laughs> anyways oh my god so uh, they get fucking you know this uh random encounter absolutely fucks them up because they're not prepared for it at all yeah no this is skyrim the dragon ambushed you while you were still like leveling go on your way to the second town in the game yeah <laughs> we're looking at it right now on screen it is Still increasingly hard to comprehend because also nobody can shoot these fucking dragons. And it's strange because Cara Dune has a repeat blaster and they're so fucking big of a target that it's kind of farcical given how, like, competent everyone was up until this part of, like, the series. Yeah. There's no reason for it, so it really does just come off as the stupidest sequence in this episode. And yet somehow it still works. It's it's just another excuse for them to steal from Metroid. I'm I'm convinced that this series is like high beats are all influenced by Metroid games I haven't played. <laughs> and Baby Yoda comes up and does the thing that happens in the new movie, um, which is the force healing. Force healing, which is a power that has been in lore for fucking decades, and they felt the need to claim that you wouldn't get episode nine without seeing this episode. 
because force healing is there. Right. They have they have to show you visually how it works. Somebody gets a um a, you know a, a, a scar on one part of their body, and then the Disney VFX team constructs like five rigid bodies in fucking Maya or whatever, puts them under the thing, motion tracks it to the geometry of their arm, and then slowly like scales them down, and it's whatever. You know, it's it's pretty sexy in my opinion. Yeah, I mean they they did every cheat in the book to make this look a lot a lot more believable, considering that they were operating on a tv show budget to do this effect which was they did it at night where the only light is a campfire so there is next to no actual light and they did it on a black man carl weathers so you know his his skin healing really could just be an opacity fade of some fucking like you know track geometry a little bit some scaling down of the wounds but like you know gotta give it to disney for trying to give us content that feels like star wars but only at home for streaming (laughs) (laughs) For yeah. the for, this is this is Disney's master plan. They'll pay for our streaming service if we make them know that if they go to the movie theaters, resistance is futile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. But thank Christ, this exists. Eventually, like after this fucking random encounter happens, Carl Weathers basically just stops, and there's clear like drama about to go down. And then he is the fastest draw in the West, and he shoots his two buddies who had red shirts. Oh, also, one of the other red shirts was carried away by a dragon. <laughs> oh, yes. He's he's just going to go off and become a villain of a dragon colony. I cannot wait for season two, the episode where he just comes up and he's like, Did you forget me? And then Giancarlo Esposito just fucking skewers him. <laughs> so that they, they were, uh, fucking, uh, Carl Weathers pulls out, You've saved my life. I am eternally grateful. <laughs> Turns into one of the little green men from Toy Story and just, like, mercs his, like, you know, little... His little hired d- help. His fucking sketch dudes he showed up with, and he's like, Mando, the plan was to kill you, but now... The plan is not to kill you, like I told you before. (laughs) I want to make memes of your baby, Mando. I want to put them all over Twitter. And so they proceed to set up a photo booth and just start taking pictures of Baby Yoda doing various wild shit. Yeah, Carl... Check the at Mandalorian uh, Twitter account, and they've posted a bunch of them. It's really cute. Carl Weathers just resigns his bounty hunter life, goes to get a marketing degree from Webster University in PR, (laughs) and spends the rest of his days operating Facebook accounts trying to tell bigots to not, like, you know, make weird comments on Gillette's Facebook page. (laughs) He's just sitting there shaking his head, just like, scum and villainy. (laughs) Oh my god. I'll never find a more wretched hive, Mando. (laughs) No, then then proceeds, like, a weird conversation where, uh, they Gina, discuss a plan. Gina Carano just refu- just really doesn't like the fact that these two are corroborating again. <laughs> Immediately after it was revealed that Carl Weathers was just going to fucking kill them. Yeah, Mando, like, gives him his gun. <laughs> and puts himself in handcuffs. Then the whole time Gina Carano is, are you high? What the fuck are you doing? I love how in this episode she keeps getting cucked by Queel. Like, like this old pig Nolby man is just like, no, I think you should do what the Mando's saying. And she's the only sane one she, who's, like, trying not to get killed. Queel actually says, you should let him speak. Just fucking <laughs> silence, woman. Oh, my God. 
And it's so bad because she's the one making the most sense. Like, do you guys remember when Carl Weathers tried to treat Mando as a friend in the previous episodes? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just it just wasn't fucking working. Like, Mando could not give a fuck about this guy. And then in this episode, seems to trust him quite a fucking bit. But yeah. that's mostly because he's trying to get back to our golden boy, our sweetest screen presence in this whole fucking glorious first season. It is I, Werner Herzog. <laughs> When he came on the screen in like this this like medium long shot, I think Josh just started laughing. Because <laughs> he's an inherently absurd person. <laughs> His dialogue. It's like do Warner you... Herzog's existence is a joke, and he knows it. Do you understand it's funny. how much cocaine you've done? My bottom and top teeth are fused together. I must talk like this. To speak <laughs> on the set of Fitzcarraldo, Klaus Kinski did so much ketamine one day that we couldn't shake him awake. So I had to light off a bunch of party streamers. And he woke up and thought it was New Year's. <laughs> his dialogue. I have to. I have to comment on this because his dialogue is written for like a fucking book. Like he comes in and he's just like offering people libations. <laughs> Should we have a libation to celebrate this reunification? He, he, talks, he talks like a fucking prequel Star Wars character. He's such a fancy lad. I love it. <laughs> he goes on this weird Rudyard Kipling white man's burden shit about the Empire. And, just and out of nowhere. He rubs Mandalo- the, the fucking Mando's helmet and he's just like... How incredible Beskar is when crafted by the hands of... The traditional artisans. <laughs> I, I, I love him. I just fucking love him. I don't care if he's, you know, like, sub-boss top Nazi. It's God, just... they got so many fucking fire actors for this show. Gina Carano is my personal favorite, but uh, everyone is doing one of the best acting jobs of their game it's in just, this show. It's just the image of Warner Herzog... In his, like, fancy clothes with a big pimp chain with the Empire symbol on it. What Just are you saying? Out that like... I am not allowed to pimp? I'm big pimp and spit in the cheese. Oh, that's why all the stormtroopers are so dirty. <laughs> he makes them do German shit. He's just this... <laughs> Unfortunately, not meant to be though. Yeah, he gets um, he gets mocked. he gets cocked by the final boss, which is a uh, Gus from Breaking Bad. Yeah, and, and awesome. he's and he's flanked by something that I freaked the fuck out when I saw for the very first time. Fucking Death Troopers from Rogue One. I'm sorry, I'm gonna go on a fucking Turbo Nerd thing here. Go. I love I I love the the clone and the stormtrooper designs when there are special forces troops. They are always awesome, their armor is always cool, and the fact that they actually pulled something from the movies that wasn't just, like, from the original movies, but was from, like, the interesting, like, spin-offs, and put it in more stuff is awesome. I fucking love the Death Troopers because they're just the commandos from uh, Star Wars Republic Commando, but for the Empire now, so their double is evil, and their armor is blaster-proof, so they can't just be normal murked. You have to have, like... Either, in the case of Cara Dune, a fucking chain gun, or, in the case of Mando, you have to face them in hand-to-hand combat. They they are mini-bosses, and I love them. And the fact that they appeared 
in this just as fucking personal guards for Gus from Breaking Bad is awesome. Gus from Breaking Bad calls in, and th this is like right around the part in the uh, end of episode seven and the end, or the beginning of episode eight, where shit gets like hilariously self-aware. It's one of those things where where uh, <laughs> Werner Herzog is on like this rant about how the Empire is great, and rather than like have a natural pause while switching conversation topics, he caps off his sentence with, "Can I see the baby?" <laughs> no, not it's snapping. A... We will all be quiet. <laughs> He he does not. He just changes conversations at the same pace that I think we do, where the topics switch and you don't realize they've switched for a second, and then it registers. Oh, that's weird. He doesn't exist in this universe. This universe exists in him. <laughs> like like he just full blown like stops this like tense ass moment and is like, I have to take this call. <laughs> he, he pulls he gets, a, a, he gets on FaceTime with cuts from Breaking Bad. And uh, Gus from Breaking Bad, the, the, the self-awareness I was referencing is, Gus from Breaking Bad keeps killing his own men. Like, he makes his intro by murking the room full of fucking Imperials, Werner Herzog included, through the wall. And, a, and the bartender droid who was offering libations. Bartender droid did fucking nothing. Yeah, that, that's just all the war crimes of Moff Gideon is just murdering bartender droids. He's basically the comedian from Watchmen. <laughs> so, uh, fucking, you know, the final boss appears, and there are there are commentaries, like, inside the text of people, especially in the beginning of the next episode, who are just like, yeah, he just keeps killing his own guys. Episode eight, what he does. <laughs> episode 8 is a Red vs. Blue skit, and Which, uh, it's very clear that uh, Taika Waititi directed this. By the way, I should mention... Uh, after episodes five and six were guest written to just kind of fill out the story, John Favreau wrote episodes seven and eight, and Deborah Chow, who directed episode three, directed episode seven, and Taika Waititi, who is just the voice of IG-11 and did nothing else on the show, directed episode eight. I guess there is one thing. Uh, apparently, when Queel gave the Mando a fucking comlink, it was set to an open frequency, so these two assholes on speeder bikes just hear them chatting and chase down and fucking Tupac Shakur, Nick Nolte. Which is the saddest <laughs> moment of the series. He, he, poor Pig Nolte. He, he didn't even get one last die I have spoken. He died as he lived. A libertarian? <laughs> I don't know. He face was a down, libertarian. Face down in a pool of his own not blood because this is PG-13. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that like his son, you know... Pig Ron Swanson will join us and be like, oh my God. I heard you served with my father. <laughs> he just has IG-12. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. It's just a Sonic Adventure game. They just keep updating. <laughs> By one number, the new robot companion, when the old robot companion heroically you know, blows himself up. My operating system was backed up to a hard drive, and it was uploaded to a new IG body. Now, who wants a spatchka? <laughs> because he serves a different drink in every iteration. Yes. In this one, it's tea, and it's going to be spatchka and then a uh, fucking beer, and it's just gonna it's just gonna keep going. And his bartending eventually gets so elaborate <laughs> that it's actually the plot of a whole movie is this Rube Goldberg machine that they think is going to do something like blow up a planet, and then it's just to you know pour some spatchka into a fucking cup. They go to his house in like space Seattle, and he offers them Corellian IPAs or something. <laughs> can tell you all about this IPA, where it was brewed, how long was it aged. He's just got a beard now, like, even yeah. though he's a robot. Well, granted, uh, it's, what's really funny is that in A New Hope, the backdrop of like all the, the drink machines in the cantina 
one of the props there that was used as a drink machine became IG-88's head, so it's canon that assassin droid heads can be integrated into bartending settings. Holy fuck. <laughs> well, that's a deep cut. I love that. That's why people tune in. It's just a weird prop that happened. But yeah, episode 8 opens on a red versus blue skit featuring Jason Sudeikis and some other guy who doesn't matter. Because they end <laughs> on such a low note in episode 7. Mando, Kara, and um, Carl Weathers. Are, just... Yeah, Grief Karga is his name. They're, they're all pinned the fuck down. Gus Fring has them in a worse than, like, season five Breaking Bad situation. And this was, and it, that was the shot that Jon Favreau was talking about, where they needed so many Stormtrooper costumes for these last two episodes that they didn't have the budget to make or get them from, like, archives. So they just called up the 501st, which is a cosplay league Holy that fuck. operates out of America. And it's a bunch of people that just make movie-accurate cosplays for fun and show up to events and do charity work. Called them up and said, anybody that's near this area, we will pay extras rates for you to bring your armor and just be stormtroopers. That is like the <laughs> end of one of those like nerds rule movie from the mid-2000s, like Grandma's Boy, where some fucking, you know, deadbeat asshole just gets the call and he's like, no, it really was Disney. Yeah, right. Fuck you. Sit down. Smoke this bong. No, dude, it's really Disney. And he holds up the phone and then you have the triumphant music as the nerds assemble and they're like, we're really gonna be in Star Wars. Also, I kind of love these scout trooper costumes because they're there's a way they're supposed to be assembled, and it's done so poorly here. Like, the black and the white undersuit parts aren't connecting properly with the armor plates. And it's just because these these suits are so in disarray. It's just, they're also, like, the biggest dumbasses on the planet. Like, it's like a red versus blue sketch where they're, like, hitting Baby Yoda in a sack. And then they get bored because they're waiting for someone to pick up Baby Yoda, so they start shooting at garbage yeah. like, 10 feet away from them. Also, it made canon Stormtrooper aim because the Stormtroopers can't aim. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I didn't catch that. It's, yeah, it's one of my favorite moments. They can't moments. put their helmets on right. Yeah, their helmets, the little flaps that go down are always like very loose. It was that way in the previous episode, but still. It's one of my favorite. The, the beginning of episode 8 is so fucking funny it undoes all of the doom and gloom because it just starts off with these two stormtroopers who can't hit a can from 10 feet away it's fucking brilliant i mean it is the most taika waititi moment in this script and then uh, taika waititi doesn't have a writing credit so i assume that if he added that it was more of just like there was a conversation there and he just kind of let them elaborate a little bit but never ended up with a writing credit for it or that was in the script and they just chose Taika to direct it because Jon Favreau really liked Thor Ragnarok and has just integrated a little bit of that into one episode. Yeah. And uh, they, they commit the, uh, you know how in horror movies if you lose your V-card, like there's the scream list where like <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you fuck somebody or if you're not religious, Michael Myers comes and gets you. Mm -hmm. And this one they commit the Star Wars equivalent of that, which is they punch a baby. <laughs> yeah. Both of them punch a baby. Like uh, Jason Sudeikis' Stormtrooper punches him, I think, three times. And then the other one punches him after fucking Baby Oda bites his finger. Closed fist punches a baby. <laughs> And so then, um, Ty know, and then Gloody just shows up and says, "Please give him to me. I am the nurse droid." It's Deus Ex director. <laughs> just the, the the fucking. They're on motorcycles and they're fucking around for so long that IG88 can just walk to them. <laughs> I... Well, it's funny because this is where the meta comes in in regards to like Breaking Bad. They explicitly over the comlink state that. Gus just killed a squad of his own men, which is the squad that he mowed down in the cantina to get the attention of Mando and crew. And then, 
he kills an officer for interrupting after, like, they're tired of waiting, so they call again. He's like, an officer just interrupted him, so he shot him. So this might take a while. (laughs) (laughs) So they're literally just having to wait in time because they're worried that they will get shot if they go into town. Star Wars, as a universe that is self-aware of Star Wars tropes, is so fucking rewarding. Mm Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is put a nutty, nutty man from New Zealand at the helm. God, just let Taika direct something else Star Wars, because this is great. Uh, it also fits his long-standing tradition of he has to have a role in each of his films. Yeah. Anything he directs, he has a role in. In this one, he's the savior robot who is the most useful fucking character in this whole episode. He comes in, finds the stormtroopers who punched the baby, and just owns them in the scare. Like, this is this is a cool episode because a lot of times in Star Wars, droids are shown as incompetent. Mm-hmm. When there's, like, a lot of media coming out now about how scary robots are. Like, 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 you see the ending of Ex Machina where she stabs Oscar Isaac's character, or you see, like, Chappie when he's beating up Hugh Jackman. Robots are fucking scary if you don't nerf them. And in this episode, they really just don't nerf the robot, and it's fucking great. It plays off like a game of Counter-Strike, where <laughs> someone's a Russian aimbotter yes! on a motorcycle, just dual-wielding dual pistols going through, mowing people down with more efficiency than any Jedi we've seen on screen. <laughs> He takes out stormtroopers and makes, like, the new new fucking move, like, the uh, heroes of the new movies look like little bitches. He is, IG-11 is on par with, I think, Starkiller, as far as characters that have committed the most carnage in a short period of time. So, yeah, he got disabled, but he leveled up pretty quickly here with his kill count. Oh my god. He's clearly min-maxed. So, he... <laughs> He also, rocked. this is an Edge of the Empire game. Yeah, at this, at this point. point, it really breaks down that I think that John Favreau just role plays in Star Wars, and they finally said you're writing Star Wars, and he's like, "Great!" And he made his Mandalorian character canon. <laughs> the, this entire last episode plays off like a D and D session. Giancarlo Esposito is such a mustache twirling villain, which we've kind of had some more, su- some more like subtle and nuanced villains in star wars it's great to have somebody who is just evil because he likes being a bad person (laughs) for for a show like this because it's such a simple premise it really is space western yeah it's it's just he drops in and he's full-blown just dick cheney energy they're like (laughs) i think that's moff gideon and they're like no that's that guy's famous and got executed for war war crimes and uh the mando's like well then how the fuck does he know my name because he he drops in and like dead names mando (laughs) he also drops in on a tie fighter the TIE Fighter folding lands... Wings. Folding wings. That is something that I'm bothered by, but I'm I'm turning my brain off to it. I'm just gonna ignore the fact that it's sitting there in the background with its fucking wings folded, and I hate it. It's kind of like... <laughs> you're right. It's like if Dick Cheney or something flew into Baghdad with, like, a, an Apache helicopter and just popped out and started executing, like... Both his soldiers. troopers and in an attempt to, like, root out four <laughs> yeah. different Baghdadis. <laughs> uh, i've come for you bag daddy back home they call me big daddy i'm here to make halliburton 30 billion dollars <laughs> yeah it's Christ in heaven it's uh, refreshing to see a villain this simple in mm-hmm. modern media yes yes and uh so he has them pinned in but he realizes that um his fucking dudes didn't get baby yoda because he was too busy like team killing <laughs> so there is an exchange of hands, so he has to figure out where Baby Yoda is. So he um, mounts a Gatling gun, 
yeah. uh, outside of where the fuck they're at. So they're back in the same situation as episode one. There's yeah, just a gap the E-Web is pinning them down. And it was an E-Web in episode one as well. But the, that E-Web was on a hover platform, so it could roll around like a ghost in Halo. They're, they're, he's like, okay, you have until Nightfall to come out, otherwise we're gonna just, you know, fucking drive by shooting your entire life. Yeah, because this this thing is basically an artillery cannon that fires 300 rounds a minute. So, good luck. It has an external battery. It is that powerful. And my brother-in-law pointed out, because later in the episode, the E-Web gets taken out by Gus Fring. Uh, he just shoots the battery once, and it explodes, like, gloriously. So, it's not that much of a threat, unfortunately, if you think about it too hard. Oh, no, it never has been. <laughs> I mean, the E-Web in Empire Strikes Back doesn't even dent the Falcon. So they, um, they, they buy time, and Mando gets the idea that we can go into the sewers and meet up with the rest of his Ugandan Knuckles brothers. Because they, they know the way. They know the way. But they can't get the sewer open, as Gina Carano proves, because she shot the sewer and it clearly didn't open. And because her she has proven that she is a D&D barbarian, and her primary weapon is an LMG. And if the LMG cannot solve a problem, then she is not capable of solving the problem. <laughs> She's just in there, just like, I shot the sewer, and Gus is out there, and he's like, but you didn't shoot the deputy. <laughs> so, but no, he's like mocking them, because they're, they're like, they're go, going at this sewer, but apparently it's it's just like, was the original Tesla truck material, and, and they just like, he's just like mocking them, he's like, oh, you're panicking, so you know you're fucked, right? <laughs> Which is great. Yeah, and so he just bullies them, dead names Mando. And then, uh, fucking Carl Weathers gets punked here. Because he was, because Mando wasn't raised on Mandalore, on uh, Mandalore, as the fucking, uh, lore of people like me who know about Mandalorians know. They basically just adopt whoever they find in battle whose parents are dead. I heard that this was, like, some contention among actual Star Wars fans. Really? Distinguishing whether it was canon or not that Mando was a creed or a race. Is that true? Not really. Clone Wars made it ambiguous. But uh, this is basically just the old canon that Karen Travis helped pioneer, along with a couple others in the early 2000s to make Mandalore what it was in canon before Clone Wars fucked everything up, is back to the status quo of Mandalore. Mm -hmm. So, God bless this show for siding with me and Republic Commando. But, uh, anyway, so... There's this gratuitous flashback Mando has, explaining why he just... He can't stand droids, because, uh... He knows that not all droids are bad, but when his town is raised by droids, it's hard to really see droids the same way. Yeah. A lot of this uh, a lot of this episode is, like, the arc of it is just Mando getting over his droid racism. It is called Redemption. That is the title of the episode. Yeah, nothing to do with Baby Yoda, though. It's just you realize that this entire show is just American History X. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just um, Mando getting over his hatred of robots, mm -hmm. and uh, so there's this like gratuitous flashback that I fucking hated because we've all, we already know what happens in the flashback from the other episodes. The only thing that this reveals is that uh, it confirms that the clones did not show up to save this thing, so Mandalorians did, and these Mandalorians are Death Watch, which is interesting. The sigil on their shoulder is definitively Death Watch, which is another thing from lore. I won't get into because it's weirdly complicated, and it's too much of an explanation right now. They're right. basically like Mandalorian terrorists that are like, we should go back to being badass warriors. Mandalorian ISIS? It is Mandalorian ISIS. It yeah. is compared to Mandalorian ISIS throughout the Clone Wars. I love that. I love that Star Wars has Mandalorian ISIS. Yeah, but Mandalorian ISIS also saved and made Din Djarin, who he is. Also, yeah, that's Mando's name. Oh, uh, yeah, Din Djarin. 
Captain Jaren. Because <laughs> Mando uh, gets a fucking head injury. <laughs> yeah, they uh, eventually IG-11 comes in and starts fucking aimbotting everyone on the server. <laughs> there is an extended, like, minute-long sequence of him going through the streets on his motorcycle, killing every stormtrooper he passes. Yeah, because he, uh, he says the... Uh, I think the, the the best line from the whole episode is him just saying "nurse and protect." Yeah, no, it's uh, he calls thinking Queel's still alive and got the baby to the ship, and then IG Eleven picks up the phone and is like, "Queel has been terminated. What are you doing? Fulfilling my base function to nurse and protect." As he like loads up his fucking blasters and rides into town, he goes in, kills all the bad guys on the server, um, or or just enough of them to get them out of their precarious pin situation. Eventually, they end up back in it, but there is an extended action sequence that's awesome of uh, just everybody surprising Gus from Breaking Bad for and knocking him off his feet for about a minute. Yeah, they, there's there's serious resistance built up to the enemies, and eventually they replenish. It's one of those scenes. Uh, and uh, Mando, you know, because every time he rolls with IG-11, he has to do the Halo 3 thing where he gets the turret. <laughs> he picks up the turret and Halo 3s it. But uh, eventually, Gus Fring has the bright idea to just stand out in the open because Gus Fring knows nobody will notice him. <laughs> because he has the same power as Drax, where if he stands really still, he's invincible. Well, also, he's, like, directly behind Mando, and Mando's weak point is getting hit in the head. He, his invincible body armor comes into play, and I'm happy about that. There, there's but, a uh, deleted scene where he actually has an apple box that he drops down on the ground, and he climbs to top it before he goes out into combat, so he adds the high ground. No, <laughs> he, he carries all of his books in a milk crate. So that when he finally gets the girl, he could stand in the milk crate and kiss her because she's like eight feet tall. Ah, yes, I can build a hydrogen bomb. Because <laughs> It's really great because I, I love the sequence because Cara Dune has the biggest fucking gun in Star Wars up until Mando picks up the E-Web. I fucking love her. I fucking love Cara Dune. She is a fantastic character and possibly one of the best things to come out of Star Wars in like three years. Yeah, this is exactly... <laughs> when people say like we want girls in Star Wars, she's the kind of girl we want in Star Wars. She is a barbarian class. She just is a barbarian whose main weapon is a minigun. You... <laughs> You got, like, the heavy from Deadpool and made her a Star Wars character. And you made know? her the heavy from Team Fortress. It's so perfect. Their marketing is just completely on point, okay? Clearly, purple hair la like Laura Dern is too close to the 2016 election, and it irritates the neckbeards. But if you give us barbarian women... <laughs> no, no, nobody Give has us Gal Gadot! <laughs> yeah, we're, it, it turns out that the only way to beat out the incel subculture that wants to bitch about women being in our in our intellectual properties is just to dom them. Yeah. Just, just make the women into unreasonable doms. If it looks if she looks like she's into pegging, then she's okay being in our weird IPs. Jesus Christ. Anyhow, um, my my goddamn blatant sexism and bullshit aside. <laughs> Fucking gotta cater to the trash demographic. This is a podcast. Did That's... I talk about Rick and Morty enough yet? No. Just fucking... So they uh, they eventually... Uh, yeah, Gus Fring shoots Mando in the fucking dome. Shoots him in the dome, and that really just pisses him off. But before Mando can turn, because his sensitivity is all the way down thanks to carrying the fucking turret, uh, Gus Fring just blows up the battery, powering him. <laughs> Powering Mando. Mando basically gets exploded. And he utters the second best line in this episode. You played yourself. <laughs> or, 
Or, or not, or not. It's it's just, it, it's pretty great. So everything's all fucked up now because Gus Spring took exactly two shots with his pistol. And uh, so everybody has to retreat back into the area where they were just pinned in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they retreat back. Uh, somehow it feels like not that many stormtroopers were killed. He literally has six more death troopers appear out of nowhere and flank him as soon as he blows up Mando. Where the fuck were they? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know, and there's too many stormtroopers to for them to all have just run away in the time they were in the sewers. Really? So Cardin just fucking deadlifts Mando and his like well, absurdly she can... heavy armor and bulletproof awesome. armor. Well, she can lift she can lift ten men just without being Cara Dune. Just Gina Carano can do that. It's kind of incredible. It is. I love Gina Carano, and I love this character. She also kind of uses him as a human shield. <laughs> He does have magic bulletproof armor. That he's not afraid about bragging about to people who don't have it. If anything, Carl Weathers is the real goat in that shootout because he just goes out with nothing. His pistols are tiny tiny pistols. Those pistols look like they were purchased at a Dollar General and spray painted. (laughs) No, he still has the best car in his pocket. Oh, yes, I forgot. He keeps changing the pocket when it looks like it's going to hit him from a different angle. He's just like quick. I, I would love it throughout the series. Every time he gets shot, he just has Beskar in a different pocket. <laughs> He's like, you dumbass, you had to build all this fancy-ass armor with it. Just put it in your pockets. People in Star That's Wars fine. only ever shoot you in one spot. He die- He dies because somebody has the like foresight to shoot him in the fucking knee. <laughs> He's just like, no, I didn't put Beskar there. <laughs> So uh, we, we get the, the the big lead up to the series, which is Mando is cucked and has a brain injury. He's just bleeding out his head. And so, you know, people inform him. They're just like, hey, Mando, uh, we got to take off your helmet to do some med shit to you. Yeah, IG-11 like, has a back to spray in him. But uh, also they bring in uh, John Ghost Pepper, which is uh, the name of the flame boy. Yeah, while the drama is going on, just, just fucking Lieutenant Habanero pops in. Is it, he's introduced, like, a Limp Biscuit music video or something. <laughs> yes! It's one of those crazy shots where it's all out of focus and he walks into focus. Well, just, no, he swaggers into focus with a flamethrower over his shoulder. Is is he standing with his dick as the anchor point for his weight? Because it looks <laughs> yeah. like it. Yes. Actually, to be, a, uh, to be a, a flame trooper, you have to have surgically enhanced balls to be full of lead. <laughs> Just as a ballast for the rest of you. I wonder who they got to be in this costume, because it had to be somebody who's just, like, the coolest guy on Earth was put in that costume. Yeah, it's just <laughs> Keanu The coolest guy on Earth, because Baby Yoda forces his flame back at him and blows him up, like, immediately. <laughs> he doesn't accomplish anything. <laughs> permission to get spicy, permission denied, numb nuts gets blasted out the door. <laughs> So, yeah, that's so, Baby Yoda's force thing. After after force healing uh, Grief Karga, he just blows up Star- Lieutenant Habanero. <laughs> Baby Yoda just, like, s- closes his eyes and he sees Seth Evans from Hot Ones just eating the final dab wing. And he's just like, no. <laughs> Forces this big-ass fireball back and, like, World War II's this poor flamethrower guy. Meanwhile, IG-11 has cut the sewer grate open because he just has a welding torch in his hand. Yeah, IG-11's fucking sketch. Yeah. Also, uh, Mando is dying. He has a head injury because he got blown up, and when you're wearing a hard protective helmet and you get thrown, there are bound to be uh, consequences. Yeah, and he's like, like I can't take off my helmet in front of you. 
He Leave says me. to uh, the closest thing he has to a love interest in this show, which is Cara Dune. <laughs> Who really does not want to leave him behind. Yeah. So she's just like, all right, droid, um, st- stubborn boy, uh, just find a way to get him in this fucking hole, and they leave. And, and the droid's like, yo, guess what? I'm not technically a person. Yeah. <laughs> and not it's, a living thing. It's really cool because he's, like, holding him at gunpoint, and it proves that he doesn't understand droids because he's like, why aren't you sweating? <laughs> and so the droid just lifts the helmet off. It's, it's on fire in here. Why aren't you producing sweat? I think he actually says... My helmet can't be removed by any living thing. And the droid says, no, I am not a living thing. Yeah, and he... takes his helmet off for the Mandalorian face reveal. With the Mandalorian face reveal, which despite the fact that we've known from day fucking one that Pedro Pascal was cast as the fucking Mandalorian, I think all of us collectively expected literally anything but sweaty Pedro Pascal under the helmet. I also... Love... He looks weirdly doughy, doesn't he? Yeah, he looks kind of doughy and he shaves, <laughs> which is weird. He shaves and he has, like, the worst hair. Well, it's helmet hair. And it's, also, he did yeah, just get blown legit, up. Legit helmet hair. He did just get blown up, but it's 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 fucking sweaty Pedro Pascal, whose voice doesn't match his face. <laughs> and that's the Mandalorian. <laughs> it... It's 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 really it's really fucking great. I, it reminded me of when I saw the lead singer of Six for the first time. It was just one of those. I was expecting anything but this. It felt like walking in on something you weren't supposed to see because he looked so normal. That's, after, after he gets his liquid band aid, he's fine. Yeah, and also they they just restrain themselves and don't take the helmet off the rest of the show. And I wonder how often we will see Pedro Pascal's face. Uh, I feel like it is going to be very little. Well, that's the general arc of the show over its five seasons, is it's just going to be Pedro Pascal gradually making exceptions to his religious rule, where it's like in this season it's a droid who literally isn't alive, and the next season it's someone who's probably on their way to die, you know, pretty soon, and he has a respect for them. Then in the third season it's just because he got drunk at a party. <laughs> By the fourth season he's just taking that shit off in broad daylight and posting Instagram pics. Fifth season, no helmet. Fifth season, he he actually has integrated Beskar into his skull, so he doesn't have a helmet to remove. No, he breaks the helmet against a fucking pl- part of the Death Star or whatever, and he's like, let no. the past die. No, he comes back in the new trilogy that's a crossover with the MCU, and he gets Beskar nano armor. So it just self-assembles around him when he touches, like, the little necklace. So he can just put food in his mouth without taking the helmet off, and the nanobots just move around it so he can eat. He's shoving a chicken tendy into the middle of his helmet, and it's, like, slowly going in. (laughs) (laughs) No, he pulls off his helmet, and it's actually uh, because it's Dave Filoni's character from the Star Wars game that Jon Favreau DMs. That it's a it's another Mandalorian helmet just like Halo One, but it has a giant cowboy hat that as soon as the helmet comes up, the texture of the cowboy hat loads and starts clipping through the original. Yes. <laughs> so they uh they're they're walking through the sewers trying to meet up with the Mandalorians because that's a pretty easy way to get safe passage. It's yeah. just it worked find, once before. It's just find a uh, fucking John Favreau two and uh, get him get him to chain gun your way to back to the Razor Crest. Yeah, it's it's a solid idea considering how episode three ended. And then lo and behold, they find out that uh, a bunch of them died. <laughs> yep, yep. They uh they fucking played themselves. They they came out of hiding for like. One day, and then the space Nazis just dropped everything and were like, Mandalorians, you say? 
Yeah, basically uh, what it's stated to be is that the cult kind of scattered. Some of them stayed and the rest evac'd off-world. And those that stayed, except for Emily Swallow, fucking doid. Somehow. Well, yeah, she's like the captain going down with the ship. She is like that one person in a hurricane who's still got to be in the Waffle House. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, yeah. like, the town, the power is out, but there is never a time in human history, no matter how bad, volcano eruptions or whatever, where you're allowed to leave the shift at Waffle House, because somebody's got to come in from their trucking shift. It's, it's like, she is, she could, fuck, she has the same energy as, like, those people in, like, snowstorms who, like, are still in bars in Minnesota or running the Waffle House. She's like, I can't fucking leave until I'm done, like, converting all of this into, like, bricks or whatever the yeah basically she is retrieving the best car because there's not as much armor as there were mandalorians because a lot of their armor was not quite beskar or if it was it was really old weak ass beskar so she's getting the pure beskar melting it down and getting it off world and that is just her fucking mission here and uh so fucking we get the religious moment where he finally shows her baby yoda and uh and he's and He's like, what do I do with this fucking kid? And she's like, well, you're a dad now. And Cara Dune just looks like she's gonna fucking crack up. Cara Dune, Cara Dune is also great because she and I have a lot in common. She likes miniguns, shoots her way out of every situation that you shouldn't shoot your way out of, and she doesn't like children. I, I'd never want to hold a baby. Have you ever tried to hold someone else's baby when yes. you're like a 20-something dude? Yes. They always just assume you're going to yeet the baby. <laughs> Granted, I would yeet the baby just to see what happened, but I would hope that there's like a bunch of pillows nearby so at least the baby has fun. You know you know how Republicans make up the lie that late-term abortions happen? You just described a late-term abortion. <laughs> you're a Republican nightmare, Jackson. Don't yeet the baby. But, uh, so he gets, he gets sort of cucked, and she has the whole, like, like, you know how in Pignolti had the power to say, I have spoken, and all dialogue trees disappear? Yeah. Um, she's just like, the kid is yours, you have to pay child support, you gotta get, get him home every night for school, this is the way. And because she hits him with that, this is the way, he can't do shit. Yeah, she concluded the conversation before the, uh, the, the timer ran out in The Walking Dead. <laughs> so but, she, yeah, she gives him an ammo resupply. Yeah, he picks up three more bombs and sticks them to his belt and gets a jetpack that he's not allowed to use yet. She explicitly says, you are not allowed to use this yet. Yeah, you, you cannot. It's just like the Pokemon anime. They're just like, here's a Charizard. Don't use it. You, can, you can't use the Charizard yet. And also, she just fucking commands IG-11 and IG-11 is like, yes, mommy. Yeah, that pissed me off because she's like, hold the jetpack. And I'm like, wait. Those two hands have thrown more goddamn action than, like, any other person in this crew. And you're making him hold a jetpack? I don't think she understands droids either. That might just be a critical fault of Mandalorians well, as a whole. They always wear armor, so they kind of look like droids. So they must just not have, like, the mental connection to think that droids aren't alive. She just hands, hands it to him and says, don't eat this. And he's like, I will try. <laughs> Don't feed it water, either. <laughs> yes, yes, Mommy. Why does the coat rack have to talk? I remember back when coat racks didn't talk. <laughs> what is that a reference to? I, I, I just assume all Mandalorians are just terribly racist against droids. Yeah, that that's a fair assumption to make. But also, um, the signet that he refused back in Chapter 3 of the Mandalorian of the Mudhorn is now given to him, and it's just basically a little thing of metal that's glued to his right arm. 
Yeah. She just straight up arc welds a piece of metal to his armor in front of everybody else while they aren't wearing masks, but they are. Yeah. Oh god, you're right. I mean, masks. That, would that fuck up them? Would that fuck up their eyes? Oh god, yeah. Arc welders like could like blind you. Like shit nuts. Yeah, but Star Wars isn't real, so it's still the only arc that we care about here is arc troopers. Thank you. <laughs> So eventually, they're they're in the final Mario level where um they they have to, you have to get to the da, final da, 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 boss, da, da, but there's nothing in your way but lava. Da, 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 da. It's it's like it's like my playthrough of Mario Sunshine where it's like you're you're going to the big fucking final battle, but it's just a whole lava level in front of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they find this boat with they the... find a boat and uh, first off they try to push it, but it's rocked its way to the shore. And, I mean, literally, the lava that was there, because it's a lava boat on the River Dix, and uh, <laughs> it's it's a lava boat on the River Dix, the lava has solidified to glue the boat to the side, and they can't push it, so Kara, in what is the perfect response to uh, rolling an 18 to uh, LMG the problem, LMG's the problem and it works, without sinking the boat, and then we're treated with the worst thing in Star Wars... The absolute worst thing that's ever happened to Star Wars. The day Star Wars dies. R2-D2 with tiny arms and tiny legs. No, that thing is like twice your height. Those are not tiny arms they're, and legs. They're tiny horizontally, but vertically. It's like Slenderman or Slenderman's torso and head was R2-D2. It's and very slim limbs. His job is to paddle the boat. No one likes it. No one likes no it. One, everyone disliked that. And, uh, frankly, I, I, I'm, I'm on record. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that would be better than what we got. I am on record saying I want to meet that thing in a fucking wrestling ring so I can dismantle it myself by hand. Yeah. <laughs> we forgot about the scene where they, uh, catch up with the blacksmith lady and she beats the shit out of five stormtroopers with, with... blacksmithing tools. Yeah. She melts she, a guy. She, she melts, melts a, guy a guy. And then breaks one of their helmets. Yeah, it's just... I've never it, seen that before in a which, Star Wars property. Also, I just realized, erodes the argument that Stormtrooper armor is useful against point force trauma. <laughs> it's useless. It's useless. There's no utility. Yep, it's it's basically just like the SS and Nazi uniforms. It's, it's exclusively for the symbol. The practicality has nothing. <laughs> yes. They're, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're riding around down a boat with R2-D's nuts... And they look ahead using Mando's fucking thermal vision, and there's... They see eight guys posted up and claim it's a whole platoon. Yeah, there's... Don informed me a platoon is 30 men. That's there the were... official designation? That is the official designation of what a platoon is. We see no more than 12 stormtroopers on that shore total. But if you look at the thermal vision shot really carefully, they're technically up on a hill... Oh, down looking down on the, the lava river, so they, they have the high ground. Yeah, the high ground does add about ten numbers to you. So in, in Star Wars, the Force always takes a backseat to the high ground. Yeah, it's the most powerful for, like thing in all Star Wars properties is just whoever is higher up, mm-hmm. ele- elevation wise. Yeah, and uh, so the Taika Waititi bot LG Eleven is just like hmm. Hmm. There is no way out of this scenario, and he initiates a self-destruct countdown. But not before Mando is like, wait, you can't go into the lava. It will set you on fire. It's exactly your like skin. It. Your skin will burn off, and you'll be left nothing but bone. And he's just like, 
Motherfucker, I don't have skin. Stop trying to give me chicken nuggets. <laughs> it's basically exactly what happened at the end of Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah. Uh, except he's taller than the lava and he just walks forward. He, wa- he walks forward and then... Uh, he is slowly catching self- fire as it goes. Finally self-destructs and his mechanism is literally they just have a hand grenade in his chest. Yeah, but this hand grenade I guess has double explosive radius because I... What, did he roll a nat 20? No, it's a thermal detonator. It could blow everyone up. It blows up. You know, they actually didn't need to uh, bolt Death Stars to Star Destroyers. All they needed was a thermal detonator in the right spot. How do you think that the Death Star works? Is it just a thermal detonator that's launched on a green laser? Yes. Oh my god. But, we, uh, we did it. Ret, we did it, Reddit. <laughs> he, he goes in there and he V for Vendetta's the fucking parliament of... of flank bastards not before Kara dune kills the cursed droid yeah she she does what everyone in the audience is thinking and is just like where are the brakes on this thing and just uses it an excuse to like fucking destroy this r2 unit i can't believe she didn't push it over so that it fell into the lava but you know we can't win them all and uh with that heroic sacrifice our gang is free to uh face the final boss which is a fucking tie fighter spring piloting a tie fighter watch out In, like, classic, classic Saturday morning cartoon fashion, the head honcho himself, the final boss, is is flying a fighter jet to strafe them. Yeah, the, basically how this boils down to in video game terms is in Star Wars Battlefront 2, the new one, you can pick a jet trooper class, and in some maps there's enough airspace that you can engage in vehicular combat. One player that was, like, power mining everybody's for... For, like points purchased the tie fighter and was intending to like strafe the best player in the game but the best player in the game just picked the jump trooper class oh no and they started a dog fight in midair yeah they're like well shit we're fucked because they're in a boat on lava and they don't know what they're gonna do because they're sitting ducks mm-hmm. and mando's just like fuck it i'm using the jet pack jumps up and slaps the three limpet mines he picked up in the armor room onto the TIE fighter, and it blows up. He drops one of them, which is really funny. Sadly, not all of those mines, you know, got to die a glorious warrior's death. There's one that just kind of hilariously just falls behind and then, you know, becomes a firework. Well, yeah, he drops it because he's stupid. He drops it because it's fucking awesome. Yes. That's that's the thing about new media properties, is that we, we have to have a subversive moment, so people are like, oh, that's realistic, even though it's Star Wars. Yeah, no, but I mean, it makes sense. The characters have, like, these things that slip, and also, he is literally holding onto a TIE fighter flying at speed with his bare hands. Yes. I think that it's he's allowed to drop something and it not be, like, called out for subverting expectations. So he, he cucks the final boss by blowing off one of its wings, goes on the ground heroically, and uh, they have the little, like, falling action endgame, like, New Game Plus speech. It is a surprisingly fast ending considering the pace of the episode prior, but it still feels right, and I'm okay with it. Yeah. And then he makes the biggest mistake of his life. What? He goes off to uh, find Baby Yoda's family, as is the way, mm-hmm. and he doesn't go back and strafe the crashed TIE fighter. Oh, yes! Which is parked, like, maybe 200 feet away. Some fucking bounty hunter, this guy. You know? Yeah. yeah. And then Also, Gus Gina Fring- Carano hangs out with Carl Weathers and gets her name cleared, because apparently she's done bad shit, but we don't know anything about that. All of those things she did carry life sentences, okay? Human trafficking. 
there's, there's only Gina one... Carano just turned into a space Nazi at if, one point. If you look at the background of the Cantabite scene in episode 7, you see an aged Cara Dune just like, dang it, I didn't think I'd go back to this. Just human trafficking. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, they, so they, uh, everybody has their little, like, uh, Carl Weathers is like, Mando, you can play ball in my yard anytime. And Mando's like, I refuse, and then picks up the baby and, like, runs to his ship. I, I've got to go get this thing adopted. Cara Dune is just back there chilling. Uh, Carl Weathers is like, I like your ass. You want to be my bodyguard? And she's like, sure. And I feel like Cara Dune is into Mando, but it's it's played super sububtle. That, that would be cool. I think she's one of those like warrior characters who's kind of like become sexless after a lifetime of watching crazy shit go down. Like, I don't know. Like she she was clearly flirting with the big guy at the beginning of episode seven while they were in a fist fight. That's fair. Yeah. And did you see she was using that electricity as a, um, you know, a little phallic imagery? Yeah. yeah. But I, I guess Mando just, like, he looks like the kind of boy with, like, a soft butt. So I don't think, I don't know if he wants Clara Dune as much because, like, he doesn't want the bad dragon being used on him. <laughs> also, he couldn't take off, does he have ass armor? Oh. This isn't established. Because oh, he doesn't have a dick plate. Because ostensibly, he took his dick out at some point in front of a living thing. I'm going to make, I'm gonna make everyone on. here... I'm going to prove everyone that I am 14. I have the Mando action figure. There is no ass plate. Hell yeah. So <laughs> they could theoretically get together and live out their like my pegging fantasies. Well, he cut off his dick, remember? Oh, <laughs> so God. he has to be the bottom. He's not allowed to be the top. But yeah, this I, is the way. This, this is, is the, the way. way. <laughs> In just classic dipshit fashion, Mando and everybody just leave, like, the craziest war criminal space Nazi. It's, like, reminded me of the U.S. government. Yeah. Uh, they're just like, oh, okay, this war criminal, like, he specifically got plot armor because he's a war criminal. Just some Iran-Contra shit's going down. And uh, we get the ending, which has the craziest reveal, but you gotta kind of know some backstory. Where it's just, you know, Gus Frang getting his way out of the shipwreckage. He has the Darksaber. He has the dark saber. Now, what does that mean? So the dark saber—it's a can of worms. So the Mandalorians <laughs> and the Jedi have historically hated each other, and they fought each other many times. And the first Mandalorian Jedi made when they made their lightsaber, it was the dark saber, and it was black with a white outline. Yes. And it looked like a katana. And, and its, it's blade a, actually was flat compared to normal lightsaber blades, which are tubes. And it, it's kind of like the symbol of the Mandalorian people and like their version of Excalibur. And it's in, apparently Gus Fring uh, blew up Mandalore or something with the Death Star, I don't know, and took the Darksaber from the last person who had it, who was a character in the children's show Rebels. Yeah. So gonna, apparently, they... apparently Gus Fring killed her. I don't know if Gus Fring killed Sabine Wren or if Sabine Wren, like, left it in her bedside table next to her, uh, vibrator and he just, like, found it. Oh, what's this? While digging through for panties because he does seem like the kind of person who raids panties. She took the wrong one with her and was, like, giving an inspirational speech and it was like, (laughs) (laughs) like, Son of every bitch. Supposedly Sabine got fucked in the Night of a Thousand Tears. And because well, uh, she was she was going out to lead a revolution, if I'm remembering Rebels correctly, once she got the dark saber. Like, yeah, Rebels is only like a couple years before Rogue One and A New Hope, so it's ambiguous. Also, I didn't watch Rebels because fuck any media that uses a lightsaber to helicopter fly. <laughs> it's not the dumbest thing in new canon. <sighs> it's not. It's not, and unfortunately, we have a lot of things to blame for that. 
So, <laughs> unfortunately, because he didn't go loot the corpse, um, he didn't have, you know, the most OP weapon in Mandalorian history. Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, he fucking he didn't decide to loot the corpse. He had to do the cool flying off with my child thing so he could have flashbacks to being like, I remember when somebody did this to me. And it's, it's fucking punk shit, okay? Yeah. Also, Pignolti's just straight up buried in this planet he didn't care about. Yeah. That happens. This is the way. This, this is, is the way. way. Anyway, that was the first season of The Mandalorian. I thought it was fucking great. I think it is uh, the best, like, filmed Star Wars content that we have gotten out of Disney. Solo is a close second, but this is top spot. I'm sad that Werner Herzog is gone. I am too, but you know, he literally only did it so he could get a paycheck from Disney that entirely funded another project he's doing. Ah. he did, One for the money, one for the art. That was the only reason Herzog did this. But he's hilarious. He is. And I, I think that uh, you have me to, if you write fan fiction, I will voice Werner Herzog's character. Thank you. It's okay, I'm sure season it two... Is the way. <laughs> I'm sure season two will have a lot of celebrity cameos, like... I'm excited for Uwe Boll to pop in as, like, just a <laughs> villain for one episode and just being, like, you know, just this fucking jackass and they murder him in the most horrible way. And then there's, this, there's, like, a really weird episode that's, like, a weird documentary where everybody looks, like, directly into the camera. Like, I just want Errol more Morris yeah. is in Star Wars. Yeah. It just, makes sense. Just just give me more Gina Carano. John Favreau, I will do anything I don't know how many blowjobs you want. I will give you all of them just to give me more Cara Dune. You could hold out for a lot more, I think, in Hollywood. I know, but still. I, I'm a poor boy. I will hold out for you could, very little. You could you could probably get in a costume and be an extra <laughs> that gets killed by Gina Carano. <laughs> yeah, you, if you're going to pimp yourself out, at least put yourself in the show. Yeah, well, I mean, my ability to take on many forms guarantees i will appear again at some point oh god no <laughs> they hate when i do this it's 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 interesting uh that disney completely fucking stuck the landing but this is the difference it's like the sonic mania thing when you make star wars by fans and you don't make star wars for fans you know it's it's i think this is a case of just like jj abrams thinks he knows what fans want while not being a fan himself, I'm pretty sure. Like, everybody is supposedly a fan of Star Wars, but there are a few true fans, as there are John Favreau. John Favreau has proven time and time again, since his involvement in the Clone Wars in 2009, that he loves Star Wars. And as a Disney company man, the fact that they convinced, that he was convinced to, like, he was able to just trick them into making this artful masterpiece is... A testament to what happens when you just hand fan something the ability to do fan fan shit also it's nice because this was like woven in with the fact that we like our media to be a certain pace now mm -hmm. this is like fucking five and a half hours of just like one story this is great pace and i really wonder how the whole season feels together because i've only watched it in the chunks i divide the first three episodes the next three episodes and the last two they're kind of self-contained in that weird way but I want to just at some point go and go through the whole thing. I also want to give a special shout out to Ludwig Gorenson, who did the score for the entire show. The score goes way harder than it ever needed to, and it is something very refreshing in Star Wars that's primarily just been adaptations of John Williams for four fucking ever. 
If there's anything that can make you think that, like, Star Wars can live on in spite of it, like, for the last decade just being this property nobody can seem to settle down with, it's this show. It's interesting because, you know, for years of our life, this show is probably going to keep coming back as the most stable supply of good Star Wars that we're going to get. And it's just interesting. Deborah Chow is going to be showrunning a Kenobi spinoff. She directed episodes three and seven. And uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but there is, in the works with Diego Luna, a Cassian Andor prequel series to Rogue One. Nice. So those are the next two Star Wars projects other than the next season of The Clone Wars landing next month in February. Uh, that's kind of like Star Wars for the immediate horizon. I don't know if the Cassian Andor one's going to work. Because it's weird having a, sh- a thing... About a character that really didn't mean much anyways, that you know is going to die. Yeah, but they tried it with Halo Reach, and people like Halo Reach because they're wrong, so I guess they can trick people into liking Rogue One's characters. Unless they, unless they re- <laughs> You know, they had a really Disney death at the end of Rogue One. Yeah. They could have survived. They could if Palpatine the, their Palpa- way through it. If Palpatine could survive being thrown into the Death Star's reactor, which then exploded, fucking Cassian Andor could survive a direct hit from its death laser. No yeah. one's ever really gone. <laughs> that is that is the Disney way. It's gonna... Oh my god, Force Ghosts in the new trilogy. Mm-hmm. They're gonna go full circle and they're gonna use Pym Particles to actually rematerialize Luke Skywalker. Oh, fuck. <laughs> You can't keep bringing MCU terminology into this shit. You also have never watched Ant-Man. I don't care. <sighs> That's fair. But yes, this has made me like really hyped for Star Wars in anything but movies. I, I've said this for years. Star Wars is fantastic in everything except for its movies. Because its movies are main mass appeal and they don't always work. But in some cases, they give people this glimpse of a universe and that like this is cool and then they find a book and they realize that star wars can be so much more and shows like this are how it can be so much more maybe that'll be the defining thing of star wars being bought by disney is its transition from being this massive you know three movies every every however long um you know thing that's trying to do what the original trilogy did into just being a series of tv shows Mm mm-hmm and I don't think they should give up on movies. There's still spaces for movie-length stories in Star Wars. But I think that it's a good idea to look at how to make some of the more large-scale focus be on the longer stories, like books and games. Jedi Fallen Order is a fantastic Star Wars story that also came out this year. And it's people that care about Star Wars make fantastic Star Wars and it's become increasingly clear that they don't want to give that movies over to people that care. Maybe they'll go through the uh, video game patch cycle and patch in some world building for the sequel trilogy. Oh no. Oh no. I mean, they already patched Cats. What's to stop them from patching Star They've, Wars? The the Mandalorian already did more world building for the sequel trilogy than the sequel trilogy did. Right. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to know what happens to Baby Yoda at the end of this adventure. Meanwhile... Nobody gives a fuck about anything that happened in episode 9 and how all those cards fell. Yep, season yeah. 2 of The Mandalorian lands in... 2021, right? Nope, fall of this year. Fuck my ass, that turnaround's insane. Yeah, they started production like right a couple weeks before the, new ep- before the episode started airing. They basically signed a deal to make the new episodes. So you're telling me 
that I'm going to get more Mandalorian probably in another entire season before Denny Villeneuve's Dune movie. Yes. Fall 2020, <sighs> so probably late Q3, early Q4. Fuck! <laughs> yep. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. This is the last time we've done... This is the first time we've done, like, a sign-off. But, uh, Happy New Year. We're looking forward to doing some really cool things with the channel in 2020, and we hope you stick around. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Peace. We're out.